Thank you for tuning in on our Restoration Life podcast. We're excited for what God is doing here. So we hope you enjoy this message. All right. So um, I don't have that much time today, which is good on you. Um, but I do want to share a message that, that I finished late last night. And um, just greetings from Washington, our church in Washington. Uh, Pastors Mike and Didi, we love them. We, we, we love seeing what God was doing over there. A number of new families, Roxanne and I got to meet while we were there. But um, even today, they got snowed in, so they're not having service today. And so for the very first time that I can remember in 12 years, they've had to reschedule their service. And so if you're in Washington and you're watching Mama Church online, we want to welcome you into the service this morning. Um, but I've, um, I've entitled this message, At What Cost? At What Cost? Cost. And the reason why I've entitled this message at what cost, because um, I believe that everything costs us something. Everything costs you and I something. In fact, Jesus was walking with the disciples. He was doing miracle signs and wonders. And there were a lot of people just, just walking with him. And they wanted to see God move. They wanted to see a move of God. They wanted to see the blessing of God. They might have wanted to receive a miracle of God. And Jesus kind of stops in the middle of everything that that, that he's doing, he says, hey, if, if you want to be my disciple, it's going to cost you something, right? He said, if you want to be my disciple, you are going to have to deny yourself daily, pick up your cross, and follow me. So there was a cost attached to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, right? Right? Self-denial, right? Focusing on Jesus, focusing on mission, Focusing on the purpose, focusing on his plan. There was a cost attached to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we need to focus in on that this morning because if we're not careful, we can, we can make um, going to church on Sunday a social thing. We, we, can, we can make it like, like our own little social club in the South Bay. Right, where we get together with people that we like hanging with, we like uh, 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 vacationing with, we love doing life with, and that's good, that's a part of being a part of the kingdom of God, but if we're not careful, we can get so caught up in being a part of um, that area of the kingdom that we neglect to see and, and put into practice the fact that everything that we do for God comes with a cost. Leaving your family to go out and start a church in another city, there's a cost attached to that, right? Going into a third world country to go preach the gospel and to give your life as a missionary, there's a cost attached to that. Becoming a leader at Restoration Life, believe it or not, there is a cost attached to that because there is a standard of living that, by which you must adhere to. Right? Anybody that comes up on this platform has paid the price um, biblically in their own personal life to be able to minister from this platform to you. Because we have a high standard for the people that minister into the lives at Restoration Life. And so we just don't allow anybody to come on the platform and lead worship. We don't allow just anybody in the platform to preach. We don't allow just anybody on the platform to sing. And we don't allow just anybody in the platform to do communion or lead songs. You'll notice that they're leaders. They're life group leaders. They're pastors. They're elders. Because they have counted the cost to being a leader in the kingdom, specifically here at Restoration Life. And so anything that we do for God has a cost attached to it. And some will be willing to pay the price and some will not. Some will be willing to lay their lives down, and some will be willing to lay part of their lives down. But not all of their lives down. 
And so I just want to talk to you about at what cost this message that God put on my heart. And, and it's so new to me because it happened last night. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that I'm still processing, you know, in my own heart and the way that I view things that I hope I'm able to communicate in a way that helps you count the cost for the purpose and the plan that God has for your life. Because if you're not willing to pay the price that Jesus is asking of you, then you're not, you, then what you're saying is I'm not willing to enter into the future God has planned for me. Right? And so we have to understand that following Jesus comes with a cost. At, at some point or another, for me, it cost me all my friends. At some point in my relationship to, to my God, it cost me some relationships in my family for a season. And then God restored that and redeemed that. You know, for me, it, it, it cost me a lot of self-denial. It, it cost me, you know, a, a lot of dying to myself, right? Because the Eddie that you see today is not the Eddie that got saved 28 years ago. Thank God for that. <laughs> you know, aren't you glad for the grace of God on your lives? And so there's a cost attached to this. And here's what you need to know up front is that if you're married or you're a family man or, 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 or you're a woman who's got kids, the cost is not only attached to you, it's attached to your children as well. The cost is attached to your spouse. The cost is attached... Um, to the way that you do life as a family because God doesn't only call one of us, he calls all of us together. And so there's a cost attached to serving Jesus. And the beautiful part of it is that Jesus already paid the full price for it. When he died on the cross and he rescued us from our sin and, our, and the life that we had before him. And so he's already paid the full price for that. The, our cost is living in self-denial and focusing on living in obedience to the God that we love and serve. And so in this story that I'm going to read to you this morning out of the book of Samuel, we're going old school. We're going to go a little bit of Old Testament. And if you're new to Restoration Life or if you're new to Christianity, you'll find out that the Old Testament can slap you upside the face a couple times. And um, so it might feel a little bit like that this morning in this message. And if you're okay with that, say amen. amen. Because we're going to go Old Testament on you this morning. And we're going to talk about some things that I think the body of Christ needs to be aware of and we need to protect ourselves from because a lot of times we go through stuff that we don't even know how to label. A lot of times we'll go through stuff that we don't even know really how to process it and we really need the scripture to help us process it and understand it for what it really is. Some things are, are flat out disobedience and sometimes we're being disobedient and we don't even know we're being disobedient. And so I think it's good that from time to time, we have services like this where we could just keep it real and get in your face and let the Word of God speak and let truth have its way. And so in the book of Samuel, chapter 11, starting with verse number 1, is a story about a new king. Now, how many of you remember King Saul? Saul was a new king of Israel, the king that was supposed to fight Goliath, but cowered down and allowed a young Hebrew boy by the name of David to take off Goliath's head. By that time in Saul's life, he'd already been crooked. He'd already been going chueco, right? So he's, he's, he's living in ways that he's not supposed to be living. But in this time, he's the man that God chose to be the very first king of Israel. He's handsome. He's, he's tall. He's, he's, he's debonair. Uh, God's calling is on him. God's anointing is on him. And we'll pick up here in 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 through 5. The Bible says about a month later, this is after he was um, crowned king. King Nahash of Ammon 
uh, led his army against the Israelite town of Jabesh Gilead. But all the, all the citizens of Jabesh, which we'll find out pretty soon, are the Hebrew people, are the Israelite people. Um, all the people of, of Jabesh asked for peace. Make a treaty with us, and we will be your servants, they pleaded. All right, Nahash said, but only on one condition. I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you as a disgrace to all of Israel. Give us seven days to send messengers throughout Israel, replied the elders of Jabesh. If no one comes to save us, we'll agree to your terms. So here's what the, here's what the children of Israel are, are, are basically saying. And not all of the children of Israel, just a small tribe out of Israel that had 7,000 or so people. And these people um, were not in agreement with a word of the Lord that came down from heaven over the whole Israel or Israelite camp. So these elders kind of come to their senses and go, okay, so if we're going to live at peace and we're going to become your servants and you're going to gouge out our right eye, at least give us seven days to see if our, our, if, if our people, our tribe, um, our king would come to our rescue. And of course, um, uh, Nahash has no problem with that because he knows more than likely they're not going to come to the rescue. So he's like, go for it, right? And so he says again, I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you as a disgrace to all of Israel. Give us seven days and send messengers throughout Israel, replied the elders of Jabesh. If no one comes to save us, we will agree to your terms. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the people about their plight, Everyone broke into tears. Saul had been plowing a field with his oxen. And when he returned to town, he asked, what's the matter? Why is everybody crying? And so they told him about the message from Jabesh. Can I have everybody just bow their head just for just a moment? We're just going to pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see the things that, for whatever reason, we can't see. Help us to acknowledge that there are things that we might be dealing with, God, that might be classified as disobedience to you. Help us understand and know what truth is this morning concerning your plan and your purpose for our lives, God. We only have your word and we have your Holy Spirit. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, through your word that we may leave this place transformed and set free by the blood of the Lamb. And we thank you for this time today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, mind you, in... 1 Samuel chapter 10, Saul had just been anointed and crowned as the first new king of Israel. Up to now, God's kingdom or God's people were led by a prophet by the name of Samuel. Samuel was an oracle of heaven. He spoke on behalf of God. And so there was a theocracy that was transforming into a monarchy, which still was led by a the theocratic um, government, which meant God was the ultimate leader. He spoke through the prophet and he deposited it into the king and the king would disperse the information to the people. But the people had a physical king that they can go to. So this new kingdom was a theocracy and this new theocracy is a system of government which priests rule again that would come from one of God's most famous um, prophets by the name of Samuel. Samuel 
but anoint the king and now groom this new young king into understanding his, respons his responsibilities. Saul was a farmer. So Saul gets anointed as king, gets crowned as king, and gets told what his responsibility is, and then there isn't much for him to do as of yet, and so he goes back to doing what he knows how to do, which is farming. And so this is where um, the story takes off, where he hears the news of everybody crying and weeping because of what's happening at Jabesh, Jabesh Gilead. And so in 1 Samuel 10, 24, the Bible reads this. As Samuel said to all the people, this is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in all of Israel is like him. And all of the people shouted, long live the king. And Samuel told the people what the rights and the duties of the king were. And he wrote them down on a scroll and he placed them before the Lord. Then Samuel sent the people home again. And when Saul returned to his home in Gibeah, a group of men whose hearts God had touched went with him. But there were some scoundrels who complained. Come on, if you're a complainer, you're a scoundrel. And they said this, how can this man, the new king, that has been chosen by God, that's been anointed by God, and God called out, they're saying, how can that guy save us? And so they scorned him, they talked smack about him, and refused to give him bricks, uh, bring him gifts. They dishonored him. They wouldn't give him any honor as their new king. And so the Bible continues to say, but Saul ignored him, which is really a good thing for every Christian to learn off the bat. When people won't honor you for who you are in Christ, just ignore them. Let God deal with them. So I've entitled this message at what cost? Because the Ammonite king or the Ammonites were enemies of Judah. They were enemies of Israel. They were enemy, enemies of all the tribes of Judah. And since they were the enemies of the tribes of Judah, if you were to go into their territory, you would have to pay a heavy tax for other Hebrews that had deserted and gone into Ammonite kingdoms. They, their tax was they had their right eye, right eye gouged out and they became slaves to the Ammonites, but they were able to live in that um, location. <clears throat> and so in the story, in 1 Samuel 11, the Ammonite king named Nahash whose name literally means serpent. Whose name means whisper and slithering snake. <laughs> what his name means? Lays down. For those of you that know that that's an inside joke, but that's a true thing. He gives God's people, those camped in Jabesh Gilead, an ultimatum. He surrounds them with his army, and when the people see there's no way out, there's no way of winning this war, there's, if they were going to live here, if they were going to grow here, if they were going to um, leave descendants here, then they were going to have to make, they were going to have to make a peace treaty with the enemy. Listen to this. It's important. They were willing to give up their freedom because they valued their opinion and their view above God's word. Catch that. They were willing to come into alignment and into agreement 
with a people that were known to be their enemy and brutal as masters. The leader of that enemy was a serpent by the name of Jabesh. Jahash. Jahash demanded their right eye to be gouged out of every citizen that would live in a community under his dominion. Track with me, it's important. In exchange for peace, Nahash demands they allow him to do this, and the people take a step back. The elders of the Hebrew people say, okay, hold on a minute. We want to make a covenant with you. We want to live at peace with you. And if you will allow us to live at peace with you, we will be your servants. We will be your slaves. But that's not enough for Nahash. Nahash says, I want your right eye. I want to take your vision from you. And I want to make sure that if at any moment you ever decide to rise up against me because I've crippled you, you will not be able to come against me. Have you ever found yourself in a place of disagreement with what God has planned for your future? Have you ever found yourself in a place of disagreement with what has to happen next in order for your growth to take place in Christ? Have you ever found yourself in disagreement with God over what it's going to take to see your family fully and utterly restored back to health? Have you ever found yourself in a place of disagreement with what everybody's doing around you, but for the sake of peace, you'll compromise and make a peace treaty with those that you're in company with? Because this is where the children of Israel or a tribe of Israel find themselves in a place called uh, 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 Gilead um, and this place that they, that they went to. And so... It, it, it's amazing to me, and I'm going to try to draw some parallels that I hope you guys can understand, because this is the way that it just kind of welled up in my spirit, is that many a times, good people, God-loving people, God-fearing people will make a peace treaty with the enemy in order to live at peace with their family. That many good Christian people will from time to time make deals with the devil in order for them to have good medical benefits and a financial uh, uh, income that can help sustain them. People do it all the time. I'll give you an illustration of that. A woman that's living in sin with a man that won't leave her man because he helps cover her financially, but they're still sleeping together, and the Bible calls that sin. I told you we're going Old Testament. But you need to hear this this morning because if you're not careful, you think you're living right, but you're actually living wrong. And what you haven't realized is that you made a deal with the devil and he's already gouging out your right eye. And we might not, my ears are getting hot right now. I don't know why. It's my spider senses. 
Somebody's talking smack about me right now in their heart. <laughs> if we're not careful, if we're not, too many Marvel movies. If, if you're not careful, you'll start to compromise who you are in Christ in order to sustain a lifestyle God never called you to. And we find ourselves making deal with the slithering snake. We find ourselves making deals with Nahash, not even calling it that. But how many know that our actions speak louder than... So we won't say that we're creating a peace treaty with the enemy in order to live at peace. But our actions will speak of us living in bondage and serving a slithering snake, a serpent, a deceiver. Because we won't pay the price to live right before God. Listen to me. Have you ever found yourself at such a place of disobedience that you're in so deep that you'll do whatever it takes to just sustain? To just be okay? Because there are times that we'll all go through this. It seems like you're surrounded by such inescapable pain that you'd be willing to do just about anything to survive it. And we'll do these things, not even know that we'll do it. We'll say that we made this much on our taxes when really we didn't make that much. Come on. We'll justify robbing God from the tithe. That's not giving, that's paying. We'll justify it because we need to get this. Because we need to have this. Because we can't do that. And so we'll justify it. We'll make a deal with the devil, not even knowing that we're talking to the devil and it's not God at all. Seems like sometimes, believe it or not, the vehicle usually used to move us into this kind of environment is a vehicle called disagreement. My pastor taught me a long time ago that obedience doesn't even start until there's disagreement. Because your flesh is always going to be in disagreement with the Spirit of God. Your flesh is always going to want to do what comforts it most, not what advances God's kingdom. And if we're just going to keep it real this morning, our lives as Christians is all about loving God and loving other people. It's all about putting God first in our lives and making sure that we do whatever we can to reach as many people with the love of Jesus Christ. And so counting the cost there is, is denying ourselves and putting others ahead of us, putting other things, putting, putting uh, sometimes ministry ahead of fun. That's counting the cost. Come on. I love doing ministry with people that love having fun. I love serving God with people that love having fun. Because to me, the greatest time that I've ever had in my life is seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It is the most fun thing that I've ever experienced in my life. All that other stuff will burn away. All that other stuff means absolutely nothing when I stand before God and God says, what did you do with the grace and the mercy and the gifting that I placed on your life? Believe it or not, the vehicle that we use to move us away from God is a vehicle called disagreement. And whenever we come into disagreement with God, or when we come into disagreement with God's word, 
or when we come into disagreement with God's leaders that he's placed over your life to protect you, the disagreement will cause you to leave the camp, to leave the tribe, to leave the body, and go find yourself in a place called uh, uh, Gilead, and this place is a wicked, wicked place. Disagreement with what you desire and what God plans for and God's purposes can put you in a place between you and God where your flesh can honestly seem spiritual at times. You deserve better. You're not really getting fed here. That sounds spiritual, right? You need more Jesus. You need more Holy Spirit. You need more word. And there are avenues at Restoration Life for you to experience all of that. But it's not what you really want. What you really want is what comforts your flesh. And so this place called Jabesh Gilead, believe it or not, this, 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 this disagreement is the vehicle that takes you in this direction to Jabesh Gilead. And the gas that fuels it is disobedience. Now, this place, Jabesh Gilead, literally means a place of dryness, confusion, and shame. So listen to what took place. The children of Israel heard that there was a new king. God anointed him as king. God planted him as king. God would use him as king. This tribe, these people, 7,000 plus or so, decide this is not what we want. It's not what we desire. So then rather than staying here, we're going to go make an agreement with our enemy and allow ourselves to become slaves to them. And if nobody comes to our rescue, we'll allow them to gouge out our right eye and keep us from having vision for the future. This is what took place. All because they valued their perspective. They valued their opinion. They valued their personal desire over God's commandment over their lives. Hear me, Christian. At what cost will you disobey God? What is your price? Because everybody's got a price. If you don't, then you've denied yourself and you've picked up your cross and you're following Jesus, come what may. Come on. Your bait, your Jabesh Gilead, this place is a place of disconnection brought upon by a personal belief that you know better than God. This is why Proverbs says, don't lean on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways. What is it that always gets us in trouble? Leaning on our own understanding. Right? And so these people made a decision to no longer believe in a word from heaven and, the fight, and to fight for the future that God has prepared for them and their next generation. This is a place which would require specific sacrifices to be made in order for them to stay there. Here's what I want you to see. That there are times that you and I will go through things, experience things, and process things through a filter that might not necessarily be from heaven, but be from a personal standpoint or perspective. 
And when we process those things through that filter, what we end up doing is becoming or coming into disagreement with the Word of God. Now let me say this to you. The Word of God isn't always going to be an easy thing to carry out in your life. The Word of God is never going to be the easiest thing to do in life. In fact, if you carry out God's Word and you fulfill God's Word, more than likely, you're going to have people that you once loved and cared about you start talking crap about you. You're going to find yourself in a circle of people that don't believe the way that you believe, that don't think the, the way that you think, and don't, don't, don't understand that you serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the creators of the heavens and the earth. They don't get that because they don't get that. They don't understand why you'll do some of the things that God asks of you. Why you'll make some of the sacrifices that God asks of you. Why you'll give the things that you give, your tithe, your talent, and your time, because God is asking of it from you. And, and they'll see it from a different viewpoint and go, why do you give so much? Why do you love so much? That, that, that doesn't sound right to me. God wants you to be happy. Well, yeah, God does want us to be happy, but it's not something that happens once in a while. He wants us to walk in the joy of a personal relationship with him. Is this okay? So, so I see three crippling factors in this story that if we're not careful, we too can find ourselves acting out like the children of Israel that neglected to, to, to surrender to the word of the Lord and based on our own perspective and based on our own interpretation, we went on our own way to do our own thing and we end up making a deal with the devil so that we can live at peace in his environment. Here's the first thing. Number one. I said I wasn't going to talk long. Number one. Nobody is pushing you to enslave yourself to the enemy. It's a decision that you willingly made for yourself. Right? People enslave themselves all the time. Enslave themselves. Now, Jesus came to set the captives free. How many free people in the house this morning? Right? So if I'm free and I'm living in the freedom of Christ... And I've been set free. I'm not an addict anymore. I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I'm not a man whore anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not any of those things anymore. I'm, I'm walking in the freedom of Christ. I'm living for God. I'm fulfilling my purpose. Why in the world would I ever want to enslave myself back to an addiction? Why in the world would I ever enslave myself back to something that hurt me and held, held me bound? Why in the world would I go back to being the idiot that I was before I met Jesus Christ? Right? Why? Why would I do that? Because, because what I believe about myself and how I view things in life are more important than what God would say. Now, we wouldn't vocalize that, but actions speak louder than words. And so the children of Israel in this story enslaved, were willing to enslave themselves to this snake. And verse 11, it says, but the citizens of Jabesh asked for peace. Make a treaty with us, and we'll be your servants. We'll be your bondservants. We'll be your doulos. We'll serve you as slaves. They pleaded. They begged, right? To their demise, they would not seek counsel from God, counsel from the king, or counsel from the elders. They went based on their disagreement, and they made the changes on their own understanding. So, uh, uh, in, in, in this disagreement... What we see 
is that they were willing to enslave themselves to something because they disagreed with someone else. Catch this. Because so many times we will enslave ourselves to a bad relationship. We'll enslave ourselves to a bad career choice. We'll enslave ourselves in debt. We'll enslave ourselves back to addictions and bad things for because we've come into a disagreement with the God that saved us. We do this. We won't say it, but we do it. Because what you're willing to sacrifice to maintain a peaceable existence um, usually ends up causing you to be in bondage to that other player, meaning the devil. So what are you willing to sacrifice to maintain a peaceable existence with Satan? You might not, again, think you do this, but we find, we'll find out that a lot of times we do. Because we enslave ourselves to anything that we're not willing to fight against. So you might be going through a difficult time at work because they want you to do something your spirit is in disagreement with. But you do it because you need the finances and the medical benefits. And so you'll make a deal with the devil. And you reject the truth that there is nothing impossible with God. And you'll reject the fact that if they're doing this to you at work, that God will make another way to take care of you. Right? You may be hanging with some, pe with some people, some friends or family that you genuinely care about. And there are some things that, that they do that you know you have no business doing. But you don't want to stand out and look different. So you go along with what they ask. And thereby enslaving yourself to that situation. Why? Because you are guilty by association. You may have a spouse who's got the call of God on them. And you're like, well, the call of God is on them. It's not on me. He could pay the price or she could pay the price, but I don't need to pay that price. I'm good working. I'm good living. I'm good doing what I do. But when God calls one, he calls both. And if he calls both of you, he calls your whole family. Because this is a kingdom family thing. Come on. But if you're not careful, you'll make a deal with the devil and not answer the call so that you can have peace and Jabesh Gilead. Start to shrink back. Shrink back from the call of God on your life. Shrink back from the anointing and the gifting that God has placed on your life in order to keep peace with him or her in the house. Can I say in the kingdom there's too much shrinkage happening? By not saying yes to God, you might actually making peace with the devil. Because he was saying, hey, listen, you can live here, you can stay here, you can dwell here, but you'll be my servant and I'm gouging your right eye out. So you'll move away from your church family. You'll move away from the leadership that God has placed over your life. You'll move away from a husband who's godly. You'll move away from a woman of God who's done nothing but pray for you. You'll move away from a ministry that God has called you to because you feel better in Jabesh Gilead where you'll feel dry, ashamed, and confused. 
Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. He says, these people are dried up riverbeds, waterless clouds pushing along by, pushed along by stormy winds. The deepest, darkest of gloom has prepared for them. They spout off with their grandiose, impressive nonsense, consumed with the lust of the flesh. They lure back into sin those who recently escaped uh, uh, from their error. They promise others freedom, yet they themselves are slaves to corruption. For people are slaves to whatever overcomes them. Those who escape the corrupting forces of this world system through the experience of knowing about our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Messiah, then go back to the entanglement with them and are defeated by them, becoming worse off than they were when they started. So you can come to Jesus, become born again, get set free, experience the fire of God, get, get the presence of God on you, get the gifting of God on you. God turns everything around for you. With all this freedom, now you find yourself tempted to disobey because living in Jabesh Gilead sounds a lot better than sacrificing whatever Jesus has called me to sacrifice. So the question is, what has you enslaved? Be careful not to become so used to the devil <laughs> that you learn how to coexist in agreement. Because whatever you yield to, you'll kneel to. And whatever you kneel to, you worship. And whatever you worship is your God. Who is your God? Come on. Who's your daddy? Because God says, you can't serve me and serve money at the same time. He says, you've got to love me unconditionally and you've got to hate the spirit of mammon. Because you can be unique, you can be different, you can be authentic, but you can't carry a different spirit. You can only carry mine. Because the moment you carry a different spirit, you're possessed. The moment you carry a different spirit, you're oppressed. The moment you carry a different spirit, you're separated from me and you're heading towards Jabesh Gilead. Luke chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus said, It is impossible for a person to serve two masters. At the same time, you will be forced to love one and reject the other. One master will be despised and the other will have your loyal devotion. It is no different with God and the wealth of this world. You must enthusiastically love one and definitively reject the other. Definitively. There's something different about the spirit of God that you carry. Because there are people that go to church that carry a spirit of Jezebel. <laughs> Lurking. And watching. And flithering. Is this okay? You can be unique. You can be different. You can even be a little weird. You won't be in leadership, but you can be a little weird. We'll accept crazy, but not weird. But you can't carry a different spirit. We are carriers of God's glory. We are carriers of the presence and the spirit of God. 
Jesus, the hope of glory, is within each and every single one of us that have submitted ourselves to be the temple of the Most High God. You cannot fill that temple with other demonic spirits. You cannot fill that temple with compromise. You cannot fill that temple with disagreement. Because the moment you, become in, you come into disagreement with God, you are living in disobedience to God. Here comes the Kool-Aid. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Philippians 2.10, Paul the Apostle writes, The authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. Everything and everyone will one day submit to this name. In the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm. They will all submit to the name of Jesus. There is a cost attached to serving God. At what cost will you come into disagreement with him? At what cost will you walk in disobedience to him? Because God is a holy God. And he says that we are to be holy. We're not perfect. But by the grace of God, when he sees us, he just doesn't see us. Because if you were to only see us, where's Pastor Mitch? Pastor Mitch, can you come here? Imagine God looking at me. I'm standing before God. Right? I'm standing before God. Pastor Max, you're as buff as I am. Come over here, stand before <laughs> behind Pastor Mitch. Imagine I'm God. Is this okay? I'm almost done, I promise. Imagine I'm God. Our job as Christians is to preach truth in grace and mercy. That's our job. Absolute truth. Absolute truth. God speaks from absolute truth. If Pastor Mitch is me and I'm standing before God in heaven and I look down on him, or I'm sorry, if Pastor Max is me, and I'm looking down at Pastor Max because I'm about to judge him, when I look at Max, I don't see Max, I see Mitch. Mitch represents Jesus. Mitch is the grace of God on my life. Mitch is the mercy of God in my life. I'm speaking from absolute truth that's gonna pass through grace and mercy and it's gonna hit me and I'm going to hear, welcome down to the joy of the Lord. Right? Now remove Jesus. Now here's God speaking in absolute truth. All I see is sin. All I see is judgment. I don't see someone that accepted my son. I see someone who rejected my son. So to receive absolute truth means that he's going to receive judgment for his sin. But if Jesus was standing in front of him, because my son accepted Jesus, Jesus now is the grace by which he is saved. Thank you guys. So our job is to preach truth that is filtered through the grace of Jesus. So we can't hold back truth because some people are going to get upset. Well, what do you mean? Well, how many genders are there? Two. 
Only two. Biologically, two. God created them man and female. That's it. What happens up here is something completely different. But man created them male and female. That is truth. Now, is it okay for somebody who isn't married to have sex before they're married? Absolutely not. The Bible calls that fornication. That is truth. It is not our place to judge them. It is our place to teach them with truth, through grace, in mercy. Does this make sense? But we don't water down the gospel of Jesus Christ for anybody. Is abortion murder? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. At what point? At the very point of conception. It is murder to abort a child. Do we judge them for that? No, but we teach truth. Is homosexuality a sin? Yes, it is. But so is adultery. So is a man who's heterosexual having sex with a woman who is heterosexual. Right? That is sin. We call sin for what it is. Sin, it's not our place to judge, but it's our place to preach truth through grace and mercy. We don't water it down. Because if we don't, what we're saying is, I want to live at peace with my kids because the culture at their school says that this is the way. And I'm saying, that's not the way. The only way is Jesus because he's the way, the truth, and the life. And if we don't say something, we're aborting the next generation of Christian leaders. Because we're not willing to have the difficult conversations with people. Because it's not politically correct. Forget being politically correct. Just be biblically correct. That's why you go to RLU. That's why you have DNA. It is not your place or my place to judge people. It is our responsibility to love them into the kingdom of God. That is our place. But if we're not careful, we'll enslave ourselves to other people's ideas and other people's cultures. You hear me? All right, last one. Ah, 105. Worship team, come up. We're going to close. They were willing to have their eyes gouged out to live at peace with the enemy. The enemy wants your vision, church. The enemy wants your future. Satan wants your legacy. He wants your children and your children's children. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll give it up. We'll give it up to live at peace in this world for a season. The thing that you have to remember about the story is that the people at Jabesh Gilead were people that were living in disagreement to God's commands. The people that were living at Jabesh Gilead that were dry, ashamed, and disconnected, they were there not because anybody pushed them there, not because anyone put them there, they put themselves there. They enslaved themselves. And they were willing to allow the enemy to gouge out their right eye. And that right eye represents a lot. It doesn't only represent, you know, the right eye or the right hand rep represents a place of honor in, in God's kingdom. But also represents the ability to see properly and fight properly. You can't fight properly if you have no vision. And so their vision would be crippled. But a report of this came back to, the name, to a man by the name of Saul. And the Bible says this. In 1 Samuel chapter 11, 
starting with verse number six, says, when Saul heard the words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he burned with anger, and he took a pair of oxen, and he cut them into pieces, and he sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then terror, then the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out, they came one together, came out together as one. And when Paul, or when Saul, mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000, and those of Judah, 30,000. And they told the messengers who had come, say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, now listen, say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, these are the men, these are the men that put themselves there. These are the people that were willing to make a deal with the devil. These are the people that were willing to enslave themselves and to have every citizen of theirs, including their families, right eye gouged out. These are the people that refused Saul as king. And Saul declared, tell those people, by this time tomorrow, when the sun starts getting hot, you shall be rescued. Saul was willing, Saul was willing to go and rescue those that enslaved themselves. Saul was willing to go rescue those that complained about him, that talked trash about him. They were counted as scoundrels. And yet Saul had this righteous indignation come upon him. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon King Saul and he got angry. And he said, tell them that by this time tomorrow, they will be rescued. He was prophesying to a disobedient people. And I wonder if there are any parents here that are willing to prophesy over a disobedient generation. I wonder if there are any people here that are willing to go back out there and love on people that have talked trash about you, that have turned their backs on you, that have said nasty things about you, but the Spirit of the Lord would come upon you and you would get this righteous, holy indignation and say, by this time tomorrow, my family will be saved. My friends will be saved. My co-workers will be saved. 